welcome back to Brailcast Extra. Coming up this time, formatting your Braille, a session recorded on Tuesday the 17th of May 2022, moderated by Ben Mustill-Rose and introduced by Dave Williams. Hello, good evening and a very warm welcome back to the Braillists Foundation and a very warm welcome to our masterclass about formatting Braille documents. How do you lay out a Braille document to make it feel great? We'll be talking about how you centre your headings, how you style your paragraphs and what to do with footnotes, endnotes, page numbers and all that good stuff. So everything and anything you ever wanted to know about how to format a Braille document, that's what we're going to be covering this evening. Our guest this evening is Kowal. Kowal, hello, a very warm welcome in. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a run up. I'm going to say Kowal Gokugoglu. Have I got that right? Near enough. It's Kowal Gokugoglu. There we go. Easy for you to say. Welcome in. We really appreciate you joining us. Now, Kowal, you were for a number of years um, a professional Braille transcriber. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what that entails? Yes, for 23 years, I worked for the RNIB. I started in 1997 and left in 2020. And I'm still transcribing to this very day when I get the chance and I get some work in. Um, when I first started transcribing, I worked at Great Portland Street and there I didn't have any Braille experience, uh, let me be truthful with you, and so I relied on my team to show me what I needed to do. And once I had, uh, because we were using Cypher, I had to learn how to put the letter signs in, how to put the colons in, and um, I was transcribing trustees uh, meetings and letters and anything else that came along then. So let's just uh, sort of back up a little bit. So you were already uh, kind of a lifelong Braille reader and you learned transcription really on the job. I did. And uh, I was uh, born blind and I went to uh, a special school called Linden Lodge School. And first I went to Northwood. And um, if you've listened to my podcast before, you would know that uh, I started learning Braille at three or four years old. So what attracted you to, to transcription then? Was that the job you originally um, applied for? No, uh, that came along by accident. What it was, um, I went for an interview for a secretary at, um, at a, a place in, at the RNIB, which is called employment and education division and the person who interviewed me was my school teacher and he wanted to know everything what I'd done because I hadn't had a job and I'd been looking for 10 years then and uh, once I told him what I'd done um, he thought that I would be getting this braille transcription job although he never told me so it was very much out of the blue I got a call from uh, the braille unit in Great Portland Street and they were looking for a Braille transcriber, somebody who could read Braille. And so I told them that I could read Braille but I'd never done transcription before and they said, would you like to try it? And I said, yes. So I went in on a Monday morning and uh, met everybody and unknown to me, there were a few people in that team who knew me from college and they all knew that I could read Braille and so they said that you know, they'd be happy to try me on. 
So um, I thought I'd be there for six months. And then um, I suddenly ended up being there for about 10 years. Fantastic. So I know the technology's changed and we'll talk about some of the tools a little bit later. But what would you say are the skills that you need to become a successful Braille transcriber? Because I imagine most of us on uh, this session are Braille readers, uh, but I certainly wouldn't describe myself as a as a transcriber. So it's it's a very specific skill set, right? Yes. And you need to have attention to detail and you need to be able to learn where you need to put the colons, where you need to put the paragraphs, where you might need to put the email addresses styles. Otherwise, you won't be able to uh, master this because it does take a very long time. And um, I used to get things wrong quite a lot. But uh, because I wanted to get things right, I wanted to persevere. So. I even committed a lot of things to memory because I've got a very good memory. And um, sometimes I would get a picture in my head where to put this and where to put that. And uh, I must say, when I was young, I used to read Braille books and I used to think to myself, I like these colons. I wonder if they're hard to make because I used to think that Braille was an art and I still do. And um, I thought to myself, if I you know, was able to be a transcriber one day, I'd love to do that. And uh, this came by accident, like I said. So uh, let's say after like a couple of years, I started to get the hang of it. And okay. um, that's so, how so, it... So, so just um, before you talk about the, the specific um tasks and and you know what you, is involved in formatting a document um you you mentioned there you know minutes for meetings agendas letters that kind of thing was it all that sort of work was it all internal work or, or were you eventually transcribing for for commercial clients at the at the first uh, few years uh, we were transcribing all the trustee documents and they used to be typed up by ourselves sometimes and we used to get like a audio cassettes if you remember those audio because I'm actually an audio a trained audio typist and um, we used to get um, this was a secretarial unit so anything could be coming in from all over the place and um, we used to get all the government all the um, trustees minutes and agendas we got all the um, trans you know all the text we weren't at the meetings or anything we just got the text from um, the committee office that's what it was called and then we used to do all the papers. Uh, there was a certain layout that they that we were told to do, and we had to stick to what the layout was. And I had to learn what that layout was. It took a little bit of time, but uh, I got the hang of it eventually. And then about five or six years into this role, they wanted to get a transcription centre, just like what Ivy Bridge was. And so we had to start selling our services to external organizations and I used to go around to the organizations and explain why they needed Braille for their customers and I loved that job because most of the time then I was on the telephone as well taking um, Braille you know the orders for what they wanted and then putting the invoices in the RTN database that they had and then transcribing it up and doing the invoices for the um, clients that R and I B had, and I loved that and what job. Kind of, what kind of documents were were those external documents? Then were they? They, they could be anything you wanted. They could be 
letters. They could be government organisation, you know, from external agencies. They could be um, minutes or reports or you, you name it. It was anything and everything, even from letters from GPs and things, because some people wanted their information. They couldn't get appointments and things. And so um, we were doing those. And what was your most challenging assignment, would you say? I did the Quran for a, for a mosque and two people came along and myself and another member of that team, we sat for two years with these two people from the mosque and we had to translate the mosque into English. So there was two people who were both reading the Arabic text to us both and we had to decide what layout we were going to put in and where we were going to put the things because there was no fast rule about the headings and things. We relied on them telling us what was on the page, like centering, headings, and so on. Wow, you transcribed an entire Quran. I mean, give people a sense of the, the size of that for those people who haven't seen the Quran. Uh, it, was, it was two volumes. And then I remember going, when, I, when it was all finished and everything, as I said, it took two years, they invited me to the mosque and I sat down on the floor with quite a lot of other people and they had the, the, the printed uh, material open, but they wanted me to read from the passage so they could see that a blind person was reading the same as what they were seeing. And um, I really enjoyed doing that. Incredible. And and that, in a way, is a sort of a nod to the first public demonstration of Braille. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story where, you know, there was a child um, asked to read some Braille in front of, a, of an audience to demonstrate to the public uh, that Braille really did work, you know. Um, so, yeah, incredibly powerful stuff. So let's talk about how you would go about sort of formatting a document then how we tackle that and and I wanted to kind of cover some of that just to kind of illustrate you know the vast amount of experience that you've you've had Koal so um these days you know the the chances are if you want to put a document into braille you know you've got sort of two options really one is you could just fire up your screen reader or run it through a you know a quick and dirty braille translator and and you might just get a you know very rough sort of translation of the file and and that might be okay if if you're only going to use that for um you know personal use or you're just going to stick it on a single line braille display where the formatting perhaps is less evident um however if you want to prepare um a braille document for say a group of braille readers maybe a, a handout um or or a, or a letter um what are, what are some of the things that that people should bear in mind to make that document feel you know presentable well if you want to format a document, you must be consistent with what you're going to do. It's no good putting a heading in one place and um, let's say uh, a heading level two in another place when you, you, you know, when it's meant to be a paragraph or something. So you really must know what you are doing. So when I came to the Peterborough office, I had to start doing books. And that's a challenge in itself, certainly because I can't read print or anything. So um, I had to learn where to put the headings, where to put the centered um, 
you know, when there's going to be a separated line with dot twos, where to put a, um, a dedication because I couldn't read what the book was. So I did rely on my colleagues to put some instructions in the email that I had to tell me where that heading would be. Now, at the RNIB, there's an in-house um, software called XML. And I think you know, Dave, that they get a lot of books in XML format, and then you're meant to run it through a program and output it to, to Braille using Duxbury. But before Duxbury came along, we were using Cypher. And I remember going um, from Great Portland Street to Peterborough, and I had to learn how to use Megadots, and that's a totally different program because so these packages you're talking free. about, just to clarify, because the, the names won't necessarily be familiar to everyone, that Cypher, um, Megadot, Duxbury, they're all commercial Braille um, packages. They were commercial packages. I believe they might be still around, but I'm not sure because people don't um, develop them anymore. Duxbury but certainly is. Duxbury certainly is certainly is, alive and but, well. But uh, yeah. Megadot's may not be. I'm not sure who wrote that Megadots. Maybe James can tell us. Um, but uh, Cypher was definitely a program which was used by RNIB to start with. And you have to have one of these commits. So if somebody want, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, right, okay, you know, I want to emboss something out. I want it to look good. I want to understand about, you know, headings and, and paragraphs and so on. Do I have to use one of these commercial packages or is there any any free software that would would do as good a job or there are free software i'm not very familiar with what there is today i believe there's something called braille blaster but i'm not sure but everybody is using duckberries to my knowledge although i haven't met anybody not using duxbury and transcribing um i know uh, duxbury is very expensive so you know you need to you know, you, if you can get a budget together or something, you might be able to get someone to help you with it or a grant or something, but I'm not sure. But there must be some um, Braille programs out there, but you will need to probably learn how to use them or there are some other sources where you can send um, some files to a, you know, if you email these files to, to a email address, you will get the file returned to you in a Braille format. But I'm not sure. I can't remember what that Braille Oh, Robo Braille, thing, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah so, I can't remember so, what that's called. So let's cover the basics then. So what what's the difference between a paragraph and a, and a heading then when, when um, styling a document? Well, the heading is going to be on the left-hand side and a paragraph is a block of text going on for quite a long time. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So the paragraph you you indent that by two. Two. Whereas, yes. Whereas the the heading you're saying would be left justified and start in the first cell of the line. Yeah. Or, or or cell three or cell five, depending on what heading you want to choose. Right. But choose one and stick with it is what you're yes, saying. Yes, I would say choose one and stick with it. And then um, I don't know if people read the RNIB documents. They've always got colons at the end. You know, you don't need to put colons at the end, you know. You can put whatever you like at the end or nothing at the end even. 
long as you're happy with what you do, it really doesn't matter how you do it, but you do need to know how to put headings in, you know, how to use styles and things like this. And, um, how, and how would you do that? What are, what are the steps then? So to make Duxbury put the uh, the headings in the right place, what, what do we need to do with our, our source document? Right. Um, say you, you've got a Word document, you can either import it to Duxbury from Word, which is quite easy to do. If we open Duxbury, open Word rather, and you, and you have Duxbury already open, it'll say, do you want to import the document into Duxbury? You either say yes or no. And if you've actually um, put all your headings in the right places in your Word document, hopefully Duxbury will import the headings, although you might want to tidy them up for you, if you know what you're doing, because you can, if you know advanced Duxbury even, you can make the headings up manually yourself, but you need to know again what codes to put in. But um, yeah, headings always on the left-hand side. Either you have cell three to five or cell five to seven because you know if you want to have um recipes in cookery books you always have to indent the uh ingredients by uh, three or four five cells um if you have a book called the brellis manual which you can get from the rnib it will explain to you how you do these things because there's a quite a lot of theory in that book and it's quite comprehensive. So there are some sources out there if you're learning to transcribe things for the first time. And if you are putting a, a sort of a title or a centered heading at the top of the document, um, you know, one of the things I'm never quite sure about is at what point do you put that over, you know, multiple lines i mean would you fill up a line before you would start using another line are you, you looking to try and get you know the um... no um sorry to interrupt but when, when you have a when you have a centered heading for instance um automatically the line is going to format itself so if you translate this document into braille and you've got a centered heading it'll go onto multiple lines so once you go back to your uh, DXP file, which uh, Matthew has spoken about DXP files before and BRF files before, because you can't just uh, translate into Braille. You have to do a print DXP file first if you're using Duxbury, and that's quite um, it's quite intense. You know, you need to know what you're doing. Um, you would need to then balance out the headings, the text of so that they look good. So when you translate the document into Braille, your headings are tidy and they're not all over the place. So you will need to make sure that the the text of that that centered heading is tidied. Otherwise you'll get short lines and long lines and things won't be tidy. So it's quite involved really. And what about use of, of white space? You know, when should we be leaving blank lines and making use of, of white space? Well, when, when you've got like a paragraph, it'll automatically, um, it'll automatically format it on its own because, you know, you have to open a style and close a style, open another file and close a style. And the st if, when you open and close all the styles, it will happen automatically. So you, if you like, for instance, um, you have a Duxbury file and you've got your, your, Word, your Word document in that Duxbury um, 
program open, you need to press, for example, F8, function 8 on your keyboard using JAWS because that's all I use. And you can choose lots and lots of styles. And automatically, once you've chosen a style, you'll have an open beginning of a style and a closing end of style at the end. So you know when your paragraph starts and ends, but you will need to uh, reveal your codes. You have to press uh, Alt and F3 to so that you can feel when the paragraph starts and the paragraph ends, you can feel that your style is open and closing. I know this is technical, but... So just to sort of try and simplify it a little bit, you're saying that there are basically two approaches. One is if your document, your Word document has been properly styled and uh, made good use of, of headings and, and so on, that will be respected in in Duxbury and then the the commands that you were just describing that's if you need to manually uh make changes is that fair that is absolutely right but again you know you if you want to if you want to to tidy up all your your headings and so on you'll notice and I'm going to talk about the RNIB things again I'm sorry but you will notice that they have colons in it and they have like dot two lines in it and you need to know how and where you're going to put those yourself. Um, so these are separators for separating yes, between sections, like section yeah. separators. It's Se like you might get the end of a paragraph or some, a chapter, sorry. Yes, yes, you might get the end of a chapter and you have like some colons at the end and then you have another style for the beginning of the next chapter and so on. And sometimes, you know, you might have contents. Now, these contents in books are very involved. You need to know how you're going to do your contents. You get table of contents in Duxbury. And then you're going to have to tidy all those up. And they take time. You can't automate contents. And so you need to do these things manually. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to labor that point slightly um, because in, in Microsoft Word, you can insert a table of contents at the beginning of your document and providing you've got appropriate heading levels, then um, actually you can generate that pretty automatically with the right page numbers and, and everything. You're saying that with a Braille file in Duxbury, you've got to build that, you've got to build that manually? Yes, you do. You need to. You have a. a you, you have a. Ta yeah, you have a. You have a table of content contents in Duxbury. I don't know whether it's in the UCAF template, but certainly in the in-house template that I used to use at the RNIB, there used to be a table of contents, and we used to use those. But uh, in the UCAF template, which I'm not very familiar with, unfortunately, uh, there must be table of contents because people will want to put contents in their books if they're going to do books. But again, you need to know what you're doing with books and that can yeah. be quite time consuming. So I don't think everybody will want to do a book, you know, at the no. minute when they, I mean, for instance, if you're going to transcribe anything, it'll be a letter. So as long as you've got like a heading at the top saying what it is, like a head, a letter and like a, you can get a, a information um, heading so that you can have like letter at the top of every single page. So um, it's, it has to be a short little line. Otherwise, you know, if you keep putting this as a letter at every top of the page, that'll take up a huge amount of room. So you need to have another little heading there 
in order for you to put a little thing like letter. Okay. Have you got any tips for uh, lists and, and tables? Tables are very challenging. Uh, you can get tables from your Word document into Doc3. It will import, but you do need to do a lot of work on it in order for the table to be um, tidied up because Doc3 don't, won't always do the columns for you. You need to know how many columns you're going to put because you've only got a certain amount of characters across the page. You know, you, you might have like 38 cells across or, you know, 27 uh, cells across or 28 cells. It doesn't matter because, you know, you have to tell with Duxbury, you need to tell the, you need to tell the Duxbury program how many cells you want. And that's another thing you need to Presumably know. Presumably that's job one. Yeah, it is. Like we should have covered that at the beginning, yeah, really. Sorry, uh, yeah. Is to set your page <laughs> yeah, size. Yeah, you do. You need to set that at the beginning and you can only do that in a DXP file um, because you want to do all your editing a DXP file and you want to check all your stuff in a DXP file, which is a Braille file, before you, you know, save it in a BRF file. And again, if you, if you don't know what, a BRF file is and how to do it, you will have to get some instructions from somewhere on okay. knowing what to do. And and any any advice on uh, footnotes and endnotes, things like that? Uh, footnotes, uh, you can you can have a thing called footnotes in your Word document, but uh, if you have a book, for instance, I'm going to give you an example about a book. Footnotes always come at the end of a volume, especially in a Braille volume. That's how R&RB used to do it. Um, I've never done a book um, outside of R&RB. I've uh, never seen another book uh, rather, other than what R&RB give you, you know, to, for you to read. Um, so I know that other agencies, they choose how they want to do their books. They can take they don't have to put footnotes in you don't need to put any colons in even you can just have um things running on from each other headings paragraph headings paragraph and that's it there's no fast rule on how you do a book it's just that r and i b they have rules on how to do books i'm not sure who devised these rules but that's what they use and then when it comes to pagination a lot of um braille books in the uk at least uh you put the print page number in there sometimes with a a dot five followed by a dots two five and then a number sign and the print page number uh, and that can appear obviously you know anywhere within the braille page where the print you know the end of the print page was um and you then the braille page yeah and then you the braille code. page number that usually sits in the in the top right hand corner it does yes and you, you um you were talking about the print page numbers just now you have special codes in duxbury and you need to put those codes in, in order for that dot five and what you've just said number sign with mm -hmm. the with the page. It'll just come into it, but you have to have print pages in the Word document itself in order for the print pages to come into Duxbury. You know, okay. you sometimes you can you can get Word documents with print page numbers in, and they'll show up in Duxbury, and then you have to uh, tidy those up with the the codes because. Um, you know, the codes will come in automatically with some templates. But I know with the RNIB, you had um, different codes to put in for the print pages numbers so you know where they were. 
I'm going to bring Ben in uh, to let everyone know how you go ahead and ask your questions. If you've got a question about formatting a Braille document, I know we focused a lot on Duxbury, and obviously you're coming at this, Koal, from the perspective of somebody who was a, a transcriber primarily for for RNIB. Um, it's worth mentioning that the, a lot of these conventions that we're talking about are for the UK and that, that in other countries they will have different uh, Braille have formatting different conventions. Yes, yeah. they do. So while the code has been unified, actually the standards for formatting Braille documents, they remain different depending on the country or even the uh, pub, you know the house, the publishing house uh, that is putting out the uh, the content. But for small organisations and, and individuals, you're, you're you're saying actually, in some ways, it doesn't really matter too much what you do as long as you're kind of consistent with, with how yourself. you do it. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, you've got uni, you've got UEMI Braille. Well, how about you? You know, unified layout. You know, why should everybody have different layouts? You know, if you all had the same layout, at least or... everyone knows what they were doing. It took 30 years to agree the Braille code. Can you imagine? Do you really want to do that? Uh, so, Ben, should we bring you in? Um, and uh, you can let everyone know how we go ahead and, and ask questions. Yes. Going to come to Jane in a moment or two. But a nice, uh, a nice question to get us started from the chat. Uh, what is a style? What is a style? It's, it's like a... Like, um... I find it very difficult to explain. Uh, it's like a—I can't even haven't even got the words to explain. Unfortunately, I'm it's not that. A, it's a—it's a set of rules um, that defines the purpose of a certain part of the text, isn't it? So, um, if we apply a heading level one style then it'll be wrapped around that bit of text it's wrapped around that bit of text and then it says every time we use heading level one then use these rules for displaying this text so it might be that your heading level one is you know aerial bold 16 for example um, so every time you use heading level one it tells the um it tells the word processor to to show that text in you know, th using those rules, that bold and it, and so on. So it means that you don't have to set the font and the um, the emphasis and the point size and all of that each time uh, you want to use a particular uh, style within your document. That would that would be my understanding. And yes, then it's of like course, bold and underlined. They they are kind of styles. They they are kind of. But they? if you use them on their own, they're not really styles are they no so, they're not because if you use a style it also um gives the document structure so um if you use heading levels that means then that your screen reader will report those headings um and that can also aid with navigation um so on the web for example where um heading styles have been used it means then you can use the h key in your screen reader to jump to different headings on the page um, and also in microsoft word you can enable the navigation pane so not even not even a screen reading function if you enable the navigation page particularly for large documents uh, if you've used um, styles then it can make it a lot easier to to get around the document so i, I hope that answers the question but if somebody's got a better answer then uh, we'd be very glad to hear it Great stuff, Koal and Dave. We're going to come to Jane now. Uh, Jane, you are good to go. 
Hello, Koal. Hello, Jane. Um, I'm using Duxbury to translate um, into Braille. And when I go to translate, it's starting to ask me for codes. I'm in the latest version of Duxbury using NVDA. I wondered how I could find out about what codes I use for the layout. Uh, you have like a menu in your DXP file. There's, you've got some menus oh, yeah. in there. There are some menus, yeah. You can go into the layout menu or a code menu and it'll tell you what, you know, if you don't oh. know what codes to put. No, I wouldn't like know. A, no, you can go into your to your menu in your coded <laughs> menu and it'll tell you uh, what it'll tell you what codes they are. You can choose from the menu what codes you want. There's loads and loads of codes there. Yeah, I know there are lots of codes. Yes, I've found quite a few of them. But um, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, if you need help and anything or anybody needs any help, they can always uh, contact me. And I, can I may well talk, I may well help, ask for your help. And the manual that you mentioned, it was called Braille. The Braillist manual from Braillist. the RNIB. Yeah, Braillist manual from the RNIB. Yes. Um, because somebody asked that question in the chat, I thought I'd ask it anyway, because I needed fine. to make a note. Um, that, that should be very helpful. That's fine, yes. And, I mean, you know, it tells you how to do hymns and things for churches and things like this. <laughs> Oh, right. That's how, that's how technical it really is. Yeah, I knew Poetry, it was technical. Yeah. So, Thanks, Jane, Carl. if you if you um if you get in contact with the Braillists Foundation help address, um, and then we can pass it's on your helpline at Braillists.org, isn't it? Uh, just help, I think. Oh, it's help, help. Braillists.org. Help yeah, at Braillists.org. Yeah. Yeah, and then we can pass that on to Koal um and and put you guys in touch, ladies. Lovely. Um, and um, you'll be able to um, compare codes. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. That's Fantastic. Okay. Hope that helped, Jane. And uh, as as Jane mentioned, uh, Alison uh, with the question in the chat. Hope that helped as well. Um, a quick reminder that we will be including all of the information that we're mentioning in this masterclass on the handout that will accompany the recording. Uh, best way to find that is to keep an eye on our media page, braillists.org slash media, where you'll find recordings and handouts for all of our previous masterclasses and for this masterclass as well after a few days. Um, question from the uh, question from the chat um, from a new transcriber, is it more efficient to do all of the uh, translation and formatting of the book in the DXP file before translating it? Yes, it is, because uh, you, can, you can do it in the D DXP file, but it's best to do it in a DXP file, because if you do a mistake in the DXP, P file, you can correct it more easily because it's all print. It's all based on print rather than Braille. So when you translate it into the Braille into the DXB file, you've got all the Braille signs and everything. You can look at how the pages are going to look in Braille, and you can look at how your headers are going to be, um, and how your contents are going to look. Because when you like write Braille contents, for instance, you need to keep translating it because you need to know how where the colons are going to end or where your guidelines are going to end again you need to know how to do these guidelines or you don't need to have any guidelines you can just put um this is um let's say this is chapter one colon space and a page number but you need to translate your 
book or whatever it is into Braille so you know where the page numbers are going to be so you can put it in your contents on the DXP file. So just to clarify there, Koal, um, so the DXP for Papa, uh, that's the project file, is it? And then DXB for Braille, that's the Duxbury Braille file, presumably. Yes, that's right, yes. Okay, and by guideline, do you mean the dots three six that you get running along the line from the um, section title to the page number? Um, okay, um, you get what two kinds of... Con I'll explain. You get two kind of content. You can either have a general contents. You certainly have that at the RNIB in their Braille books. And when the, um, you know, you get the, you can get dot threes and everything. They're called guidelines. They always have them in the in their books. And when it comes to Braille contents, this is where you're going to get the dots three sixes. You know, like you're used to, um, Dave. Um, you know, like. Mm -hmm chapter one and then you get all these dot three dot three and six things and then you get to the end of line and you get a, a page number they're called braille contents okay all right that's helpful thank you i hope that helped charmaine um definitely uh, if if we haven't quite answered your question there feel free to uh, raise your hand and we'll bring you in i'm going to come to daniel in a moment or two no hands after daniel uh, but still Plenty of time for questions, Alt-Y on Windows, Option-Y on Mac, Star 9 on the telephone, or more than raise hand if you're using the app. Uh, all right, Daniel, you are now unmuted. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, no, this is a great, uh, great workshop. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the US. I'm a transcriber of uh, mainly uh, music braille. But uh, I also have to, uh, as part of the music school that I work for, I occasionally have to do the concert program or two throughout the semester. And I think for that, I, I generally, because I'm dealing with sort of the manual formatting and proofreading aspects of music, I, I seem to be mostly uh, doing braille side formatting uh, manually from a BRF document. Um, but I think it's it, it seems useful to be able to do some of it uh, from Duxbury. Uh, wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, I don't quite understand your question, I'm sorry. Sorry, um, I, so I'm saying I'm, I'm um, so even though I, I mostly do uh, music transcription for the two sort of purely text documents that I do as well, I seem to be uh, <clears throat> formatting uh, using the manual uh, or manual methods by like I have a braille display and I can go and correct errors on my own and adjust heading placements. Um, yes, but you need, need to guess, do it in the DXP file. You can't really do it from a BRF file because there it's the braille file that you're, because you want to mm -hmm. use that braille file to see what it feels like under your hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, the DXP is like a print file. It's a Duxbury print file. And that's where you want to do all your um, your layout and your paras and all your, you know, your body text and things like this. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think from now on I should try to think more about the the coding, uh, the no, the code, the the functions within Duxbury, Duxbury. for uh, automating the formatting. I think that would be yes. very useful. Yeah, and then you can check it all in the Braille file. I mean, if you need help again, you can contact the help thing at the braillist.org. I, I mean, music is quite a specific 
use case, isn't it? Uh, I, I mean, I imagine you probably do have to do a bit more manual work when when transcribing music, don't you, Quill? Yes, you do. I mean, um, I, I'm I'm a I'm a musician myself, and I have flute lessons, and I'm reading braille music. And again, you know, we have a at the RNIB, you know, Dave, there is a, a music department, and they're always transcribing music for musicians, and that's quite involved work because they need to read what it's how the print is, and they've got to cipher how it's going to be looking in Braille. And right. on that note, I, I suspect we have uh, James Bowden with his hand up. Um, so we'll uh, we'll bring James in on that now. Uh, James, you're good to go. Hello. So when I transcribe stuff using Duxbury, if it's an ordinary document, I like to start doing as much as I can in word before I even touch Duxbury. Um, as has been said, styles have so many advantages. Um, not only does it tell your screen reader that the what it means, it also gives you consistency in print layout and brain layout, and it also gives you the opportunity to do fancy things like tables of contents, or if you really want in Word, you can do fancy things with page headers and footers, but let's not go into that. Then I import the file into Duxbury and do as much as I can on the print side, like Kowal was saying, and then translate to Braille and anything that really just niggly needs to be tidied up, I do that in Braille. Now, coming back to Daniel's point about music, um, it is a Braille code, so I have to do everything in the dxb file because there is no print it's braille oh that is true because you all your c's are going to be d's if you see what i mean the h signs yeah there we are does that make sense daniel are you still with us uh not with us at the moment uh, okay but daniel if uh you need uh clarification or anything there please do feel free to come in and uh, thank you, uh, Kowal. Thank you, James. Uh, no more hands at the moment, Dave. Any more questions from you? Yeah, indeed. So, um, Kowal, so you, you mentioned, obviously, you're not working with RNIB directly anymore, but you're, you're doing some freelance uh, transcription. Can you, can you share a little bit about that? I know you do some bits and bobs for the Brailleists, actually. I do things for the Brailleists, and that's what I'm doing at the moment, um, I'm also doing a full-time, will be doing a full-time job, and I'm going to be using Braille in that full-time job in a call centre. Now, I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's, it's going to be a challenge, you know, for me when I do come to do it. But yes, I do um, I do the work for the Braillist Foundation, and um, whenever work comes my way, I'll, I'll always transcribe it and send it back, and people can get it by their uh, either by the website or by a, a SD card, as far as I understand. Yeah. So, so Duxbury clearly is the industry standard that most production houses seem to be using. Not not all. There are other games in town, of of course. And if people want to share those, you, you're very welcome to do so. But you know, I I sort of stuck my head in Duxbury for. 
I think, an afternoon and um, I needed to go for a lie down afterwards. I mean, there's so <laughs> much to learn there, isn't there? You know, it's uh, it's a very sophisticated and, and, uh, and complex piece of kit. I'm sure, you know, James Bowden has, has memorized many of the uh, shortcuts and I'm sure you have a qual. But what would you say to somebody who's looking to cut the teeth on, on Duxbury? How would you, you get started? What's the, uh, the best way to, to learn with, with a package like that? Um, it's so much like a word processor because you're doing control O to open a word document or you're doing a control N to create either a print document or a braille document. So it's so much like Windows, that, that program. I mean, before we had DOS programs like Cypher and they used to work on 5.1, if I remember correctly. And we had... Sure. And I don't understand what you're saying, but if I bring in a table, for example, I mean, where do I start with it? Again, you need to have a little bit of knowledge and you need to get right. some help on that. And there must be some sources out there. You must be able to go onto the Duck. I don't know whether you can go onto the Duxbury website and they have some manuals on their website because I haven't been on their website unless I needed to, to get some support with my Duxbury you know, or download the latest version. That's all I ever do. Download the latest version. I don't really look on that website to see okay. what they've put on it. Maybe with... they offer training. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Um... I mean, you, you, you can get your tr yourself, you can get training. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know who, I mean, there are some people like, Steve Nutt, I believe, and he and he trains people with in Braille, you know, with Braille. So there are people out there who train people. Or we can get um, training through Access to Work if you're working. Ben? But again, yeah. So uh, we've got uh, we've actually got a few hands now. Um, so we're going to come to uh, Charmaine first, and after Charmaine, we're going to come to Jane once again. Uh, Charmaine, you are now unmuted. Hi. Um, I'm a transcriber and I'm actually, um, certified to transcribe UEB material and UEB technical material. And I was just wondering if the trouble I'm having, the problem that I'm having with, um, transcribing math and science textbooks using the UEB technical code is I'm really familiar with the code and how to braille things, but I'm having a problem of um, finding a program or some kind of screen reader that can tell me, like accurately tell me what the print shows with all the math equations and things like this so that I don't have to rely on a copy holder to tell me that information. When I was transcribing for the RNIB, I was relying on my colleagues, not for everything, but for some things to tell me where I had to put a dedication or where I had to put a footnote or something like this, because you have codes where you can put the footnotes. Um, I don't know if there's anything to tell you where you might do it yourself. I'm not sure. I mean, you can, I don't know, you can use arrows, maybe something, you know, I don't know whether they Ira. can help you with this. Yeah, Ira. Yeah, possibly. Uh, James Bowden, um, I know you're interested in uh, technical material. I wonder if you have any um, suggestions for Charmaine, because it's a great question, isn't it? If you yes. have got a source document where you need to be able to identify um, 
some technical notation and you need to understand exactly what does it say uh, in the print, then obviously you want to do a good job as a, as a transcriber. Uh, and if you're relying on a, you know, on somebody on Ira or Be My Eyes or whatever it is to, you know, even a colleague, um, they're kind of going to say what they see, which isn't necessarily what the author intended. That 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 can sometimes be be an issue. Uh, you know, typographically, sometimes people use an X to represent a multiplication sign or, or or whatever it is. So the problem here is the print, not the braille, and there are lots of ways to represent print maths in an accessible form. And I would suggest LaTeX is a good shout. L-A-T-E-X, pronounced LaTeX. Um, with capital L, small a, capital T, small e, capital Greek, chi. Um, but that's a different story. And the, way, the reason I say that is because it's purely linear, like our Braille Maths code. Um, and it's purely textual, which means we can read it with a screen reader. And better still, with a plugin for Word called MathType, you can convert between pretty print and LaTeX. And better still, Duxbury will automatically import the math type equations and code it up for you just beautiful. Okay. Thanks. Do you uh, want to follow up with James on that, Charmaine? We could we could probably uh, put you in touch if, if you needed that. Yeah, I think that might be helpful for me. Okay. So, James, are you happy if at the end yeah. we, we give out your email address at yeah. the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. We'll do that. Thank you, James. Going to come to Jane once again. And after Jane, we're going to come to a phone number ending in 596. Uh, but for now, Jane, you are good to go. Um, Dave, you were asking about training um, on Duxbury um, because you were saying you put your head in there for about half an hour or so. And you said, where do you get the training from? Well, I was fundraised by the Bank Workers Charity to obtain my embosser, my training, my software. And I went to George Bella Technovision and his colleague, Kevin, came and taught me all I know in half a day. So it can be done, but you need to shop around, really, um, which is what I did. Which what I did. Um, and also Braille Maker is another... Um, bit of kit but whether that's still around I don't know I think that's open source I don't know if it's free but I think it's open source I remember using it at the RNIB when I used to be a secretary for mm. a, a, a PA and I was using Braille Maker thanks for those recommendations Jane always great to get some different perspectives I'm going to come to a question from phone number ending in 596 now. I've just asked you to unmute. And if I'm remembering correctly, is it Mary? Or am I misremembering there? Uh, no, this is Michael. Oh, apologies. Oh, dear. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. You're good that's all right. Hey, I just want to make a quick... Yeah, I just want to make a comment. Uh, here in the States, we ha the, uh, the, um, the, what we have is a uh, transcriber's course it's it's through the National Federation of the Blind and the Library of Congress the National Library Service and uh, there is a free 
transcriptions, a Braille transcription course you could take. It take, I guess, on average, I guess maybe it takes about a year and a half to do. And you have all your materials you can actually download off the site. It is NFB, it's the National Federation of the Blind. So it's nfb.org slash transcribers. And you could download the material in, uh, I, I think it's PDF, and also it's in VRF file uh, format. And you could you know, just take it as you want it. That's really helpful. Thank you so much, Michael, for, for sharing that. And obviously, just, just to kind of repeat the point from earlier that each uh, country has um, slightly different rules around uh, formatting uh, Braille. We've got the same code now, but uh, some of those formatting rules may be different. So obviously, bear that in mind if you're from the UK and you're checking out that fantastic resource from yeah. NFB. Thank you, uh, Michael. I had a quick question for you, actually, Kowal. So there are probably going to be some people on this call thinking, right, well, you know, uh, I know Braille, I can read Braille, I'm pretty good at writing it. I've, I, maybe I want to go into the transcription business. We, we've sort of touched on this a little bit throughout the session, but what what's the, the sort of, what's the bare minimum that you would need in terms of equipment and software to get started? And then as you progressed, what would be desirable would you say if someone wants to start out what what do they need to get and what would they ideally have as well well um you say transcription business i've just started mine and all i did was uh, i got somebody to help me with a website because i can't build websites myself i know of somebody else who used to work for the rnib and he does uh, braille music he has his own braille music business called Golden Chord. I'm quite sure you know who I'm talking about. And I asked his advice and he told me that, um, you know, if you want to do it, then, you know, you, you should make a website. And I asked him, uh, frankly, what website, how did you get your website? And he told me about somebody and I contacted that person and I asked her whether she would help me build a website. And she said she would. And she knew about accessibility a little bit, I think, because she'd been working with that said person. And so she made the website for me. And um, she's asked me to think about what I'd like to put on that website, you know, my experience and my CV and you name it. Sure. I mean, that would be true for, for any business, I think, Koal. But for starting a transcription business specifically, well, uh, I, I, I mean, is, I use... is a, a laptop and Duxbury enough or, or could you... Would you definitely need a braille display, for example? You you need a braille display, by all, because you know you need to you need to know what you're doing. You know where to put your key. You know where where you're going to put your. You know you want to check your braille, and you really can't do it with a screen reader. Right. And also, you do you can get um, access to work to help you because although you would need to make a business plan because access to work won't help you with anything like this unless you've got a business plan. And, uh, you know, if you go to a job centre and say you want to start your own business, for instance, they're happy to help you with that because uh, they said to me, you know, if you've got a business, you can do a business plan. Because I asked, you know, could I get help from Access Work? Could I get equipment? And they said, you can, but you need to make a business plan. And I thought, well, so, I, hey, I haven't got enough people. I don't know how it's going to be. Sure. So there's there's the business side of it. 
uh, which you know is is interesting, and maybe we should should do that almost as a separate uh, thing. But just I think you know what Ben was kind of driving at is is actually the process of being a transcriber. So as a bare minimum, you need the you software, need a, the laptop, need, and the braille yeah, display. Yeah, you do. Yeah. That's all you need. In my you don't opinion. need an embosser. No, I haven't got an embosser. I mean, I can get right. one if I need to, but the demand isn't there at the moment. Right. I mean, so many people nowadays, as you know are downloading BRF files to their Braille displays and they are reading their stuff on their Braille displays. You know, look at the Orbit Reader, for instance. BRF files have never been so popular like they are now. Thanks for that, Kual. Um, really interesting stuff to consider there. And thank you to everyone else as well. Uh, we don't have any more hands and I think we're um, think just time. on time now. So, yeah, I'll uh, pass over to Dave to wrap things up. Well, thanks very much, Ben, for your help with the moderation. And thank you, everybody, for your questions. Uh, a little bit of an insight into the business of transcription and some of the tools and techniques that you might use uh, to format a Braille document. We did promise you James Bowden's email address. Uh, shall I do it, James, or do you want to? Uh, maybe you do it, Dave. If you would like to contact James regarding transcribing technical material, if you remember, um, I think it was um, Charmaine's question, uh, then you can write to james.bowden, that's B-O-W-D-E-N, at rnib.org.uk. That's james.bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N, at rnib.org.uk. UK. Koal, thank you so much for uh, giving up your time and sharing with us. We really appreciate that and we wish you well as you start to grow your new uh, Braille transcription business and thank you uh, for all the work you do behind the scenes for thank you. the Braillist Foundation. We really appreciate that very much indeed. Uh, from myself, Dave Williams and the rest of the Braillist team, until next time, bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brailcast Extra. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Brailcast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice, or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailleists everywhere on your smart speaker. For the latest information about future Brailleist events and how to join live, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter at brailleists.org slash newsletter slash sign up. You can also visit our events page at braillists.org slash events. If you have comments on this recording or suggestions of topics or guests for future events, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braillists.org. You can also find the Braillists on Twitter at Braillists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. We welcome new listeners and live participants alike, so if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.